This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Matt Woodley. So I don't know if you caught the excitement and the energy in that gospel reading passage. Jesus is being followed by a crowd of people, and we have to imagine that they are excited, they are energetic, maybe they're laughing, they're singing, they're running down the mountain. Because just about an hour earlier, Jesus had gone up the mountain, and he gave this incredible sermon, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, which was really a manifesto of a revolutionary new way to live your life and to do human community. And now they're coming down the mountain, and Jesus is going to start bringing this into reality. And it's going to be big, and it's going to be dramatic, and it's going to be fantastic. That's verse 1. They're excited. And then verse 2 begins with this, and it says two words, and behold. So the spotlight goes over here. Drum roll, please. Here it is. Jesus is going to roll it out. And he meets a leper. Now I want us to realize, one leper, and he heals him. So I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, I've read this maybe a hundred times, but this time I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, ah, leper? One leper? I mean, it's nice, but it's like, Jesus, show us your best stuff. It's not big. It's not dramatic. It's not bold. It's not the revolution you were talking about. It's kind of like a baseball pitcher. My friend Mike says, use Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. He's like one of the greatest of all time. So it's like Nolan Ryan. He's got a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, and he takes the mound, and his first pitch, he lobs it underhand, 12 miles per hour. It's a strike, but you're thinking, hey, man, where's the 100-mile-per-hour fastball? Where's your best stuff? So I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, Jesus, where's your best stuff? This is not a big, bold rollout of your kingdom plan. So I'm reading, thinking, praying, reading, thinking, praying. It's a good way to read your Bible, by the way. You read, you think, you pray, until a light bulb goes on. And I'm thinking, yeah, but this story, this modest story, in a small village, among an oppressed people, on the fringes of that small village, Jesus encounters a leper, a man who is untouchable, and Jesus touches him and heals him really is the perfect start to the revolution Jesus promised. It really is the perfect rollout. And he's, by that one touch, I'm going to say this morning, by that one touch, Jesus changed the world. And he's still changing the world. And he can change your world. And he can change our world. Through that one touch of one leper, yes. With that one touch, Jesus has given us a remarkably new dignity, a remarkably new presence, a remarkably new power, continuing Israel's story and yet fulfilling it. Where's the new dignity? Well, verse 2, who's the leper? Jesus encounters a man who's a leper. Who is he? I want us to imagine where this man lives. Think of, in our terms, a homeless man who's near a trailer park on the edge of town, but he doesn't live in the trailer park. He lives in the auto junkyard next to the trailer park. He's alone. He's poor. He's sick. 
and he's contagious. Now, he doesn't have what we know today as leprosy, Hansen's disease. It's actually a misunderstanding of the disease the man has, but he has a disease that's known throughout the ancient Near East and dreaded throughout the ancient Near East, not just by Jewish people, but by other peoples as well, by other nations, because the white flaky skin of this, this, this condition was reminded people of death. And people, you don't want to be reminded of death. Nobody wants to be reminded of death. So he is sent outside the camp for other reasons I'll get into later, but he's quarantined. So his whole life, he's going to live alone. Now, six months ago, we would have found this almost unimaginable to us today. But with the onset of COVID-19, have we not seen people quarantined, living alone, dying alone? My son, Matt, who's a doctor, worked for three weeks in a tent hospital in Central Park in New York City, and he had to do FaceTime with patients' families while they died to say goodbye over the phone. They died, not completely alone, but they had died away from their families. We know what that's like now. So this man is cut off. He's cut off from friends. He's cut off from family. He's cut off from a job. He's cut off from meaningful wage. He's cut off from the community. His dignity has been stripped. Some people would call him a walking tragedy. So here's a scene. I want you to see this scene. Jesus is close to this man, close enough to touch him, face to face. Jesus sees not a tragedy, but he sees in the words of St. Paul, the one for whom Christ has died. A person, as the book of Genesis says, was made in the image of God. And the man says, if you will, you can make me clean. And there's this pause, if you're watching this scene. What is Jesus gonna do? Is he gonna respond to him? Is he gonna keep looking at him? Oh my gosh, he's stretching out his hand. He's gonna touch him. I wonder, where did Jesus touch him? Did he touch him on his head? Did he touch him on his shoulder? Maybe. I have to think, because Jesus was Jewish, I would imagine it was much more physical. Maybe like holding him on both sides of his face, looking him into the eye. I will be clean. Not, I suppose, or I guess I should, but I want to. I desire this. I desire to touch you. I desire to clean you. I desire to make you well. And he doesn't just heal him, but he restores him back to community, which is why verse 4 in this is so important, that Jesus says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus is continuing the Jewish story, the people of Israel, and he's saying, I need you to go back to the priests because in the book of Leviticus, the priests were the ones that could diagnose leprosy, that diagnosed the skin disease, and they were the ones that could declare the person clean. So Jesus says, I want you to go back to them and get proof on their authority that you're clean. It would be like somebody that has COVID, they're on a ventilator, they're as good as dead, and 
all of a sudden they get healed. And now they're COVID free. And they get a note from their doctor and they show up and they say, I'm COVID free. My doctor, the hospital declared me COVID free. Jesus said, what is Jesus doing? He's restoring his dignity, not just in his own soul, but before the whole community. It's an incredible act of kindness for Jesus. Now, we've always known that the rich have dignity. We've always known that the powerful and the important, but the poor, the marginalized, the despised, as much dignity as anyone else. Where does this come from? We take this for granted in our culture, although we don't practice it very well, we aspire to it. Where does this come from? Well, I'm gonna argue that it comes from Jesus, his Jewish story now transformed in Jesus. There's an atheist philosopher named Luke Ferry, and Luke Ferry has written a very powerful quote. He said that the gospel of Jesus introduced the notion that humanity was fundamentally identical, that all people were equal in dignity. And he calls this an unprecedented idea at the time, and one to which our world owes its entire democratic inheritance. In other words, Luke Ferry, the atheist philosopher, says, yeah, that whole thing about human dignity, that comes from Jesus. It was also the civil rights movement was rooted in this message, deeply in this message. So on July 4th, 1965, Martin Luther King Jr., shortly before he was assassinated, gave a sermon in which he said, this nation must never forget that every man or every woman from treble white to base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. Where did he get that from? The gospel. A new dignity. It's a radical view. I want to make it really practical. Think in your own heart. Who is the person or the people that you tend to treat with the least amount of dignity. Maybe it's just all in your head, but maybe it's with your actions as well. Here is this radical view that the rich, the powerful, the influential, but also the poor, the refugees, the incarcerated, people on the alt-right and people involved in Antifa, Americans and Chinese, Papua New Guineans and Nigerians, tribal, group, tribal groups you've never heard of, have dignity. They are the ones for whom Christ has died. Let me just say, if the church loses this, if we lose the full potency of this, it is only because we've become disconnected from Jesus and we've lost our soul. We've lost our soul if we've lost this. That's the new dignity. Then there's a new presence, one touch. We've talked about the man, who he is. Who is Jesus? Well, back in chapter one of the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel writer Matthew tells us that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is God in human flesh. Not just another religious leader with good advice, with good suggestions, with a noble path, but God in human flesh. And where is he? 
Where do you see Jesus when you read the Gospels? Is he in safe places? Is he in ultra-clean places? Is he in ultra-careful places? He was born in a barn, had to borrow a barn. He was baptized in a river with sinners. He ate with sinners. He had to flee in the middle of the night with his earthly parents because he was now a political refugee. He was crucified between two criminals. You always see him in close, close to, or moving into these places of danger. Because for the God of the scriptures, it's not enough to just give good advice. It's not enough to just roll out a noble path. And this is how you should live. The God of the Bible has to touch us, literally touch us. As someone has said, only the God of Scripture has wounds. To the Greeks of Jesus' day in the early church, this was utter nonsense. One Greek philosopher said, you mean God became an embryo filled with blood and bile and worse things yet? What kind of God is that? To a Buddhist like the Dalai Lama, a very decent, noble man, the suffering of Jesus is just unnecessarily sad. To our Muslim friends, the suffering of a God who goes to these places of degradation is just an insult to God's almightiness. And yet you read the Gospels, where do you find Jesus? He's taking detours. He's going to places, fringe places, places of disease, places of fear, places of hold your nose because this is going to be really smelly kind of places. The church follows her Lord. That's what we do. And we go to these places. And if we're not, we're not following our Lord. This morning, six hours ago, under a mango tree, on the outskirts of Joss, Nigeria, there's a little tiny church congregation that meets, pastored by Father Panchak, one of our friends from Joss, Nigeria. He meets with a small group of mostly men who are the outcasts of his people, the outcasts of the tribal group. They meet under that tree for worship. Literally, that little scene is being repeated in thousands upon thousands of places all over the world as the church at her best moves into these places of brokenness and sin and despair and touches people with the message of Jesus. There's a new presence. There's also a new power. So in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, restored, renewed, repaired. In Jesus, broken things are repaired. Sick things are made healthy. Devalued things and people are now cherished. The rejected are now loved and embraced. Remember, this is a very Jewish context. Jesus is our Jewish Messiah, a Jewish rabbi. In the Jewish context, the, the rabbis around Jesus' time, they had a saying, and the saying went like this. In this world, the priest 
examines for lepra, this skin disease. But in the world to come, the Holy One, blessed is he, will purify those with leprosy. For he says, I will purify you. I will sprinkle clean water on you and purify you. There's a picture of that in Leviticus chapter 14. So I was talking to my friend Thomas, a Jewish follower of Yeshua, and we were looking at this passage together, and I'll just summarize it for you, but when the person with this dreaded skin disease, uh, when the disease was healed, which it sometimes happened, he was to go to the priest, and the priest was to now declare him clean, and here's what would happen when the declaration was made. They would take two birds, the first bird, two wild birds. The first bird, they would sacrifice over a bowl of water in an earthenware vessel. You got to get this. It's so uh, just visceral. So you, you, wouldn't, you can't miss this, you know? So they would sacrifice the first bird over the bowl of water. So the blood would be in the bowl. And then they would take the second bird and they would dip it in the water with the blood and lift it up and release it and let it go free. And I read that and I thought, I have been reading the Bible for over 40 years. I've never seen that. I've never noticed that. I just about like fell off my chair. And I called Thomas, I said, what is this? It's like, this is a picture of death and resurrection. And out of sacrifice, the life of one comes life for another, new birth for another. Where do we see that? Have you ever heard that before? My goodness, it's the gospel prefigured death and resurrection. So what is Jesus doing when he heals a leper? I really believe what he's, he is making a statement really quiet, really subtle. But the world to come has come. It's here in me. This really is revolutionary. New things, you can be made new out of death. My death, Jesus says, you can have resurrection. How powerful. I remember when I was 16 years old, I, I turned on the TV one day and I was watching this guy, this preacher named Billy Graham. We didn't watch him in my family because he was a Protestant. And we didn't watch Protestant stuff. So he was weird, he was really out there. He was really intense. And he had this bony finger that he'd point at people. But, but he had this message of, that just really intrigued me because he was talking about world problems. He was talking about personal problems. And, and then when he got done uh, preaching, he invited people to come to the altar and he said, just come as you are. You don't have to clean up your life, just come. And Jesus will accept you as you are. And I saw, I watched on the TV and I was just amazed because people came streaming down to accept Christ. And you know what was even more amazing? I felt like this stirring in my heart, like, I want to go down. I want to accept Christ. And eventually I did, not that day, but I did. What was the mystery of what Billy Graham was saying? Well, historian Grant Walker Historian wrote a biography on Billy Graham. He said, for Billy, it was a litany of re-words, R-E. Reform, rebirth, renewal, restoration. 
Nothing had to be the same in your life. Everything could be changed. Others found new life. You can find new life. The church is a hospital for sinners, a hospital that expects you to get better, that hopes you'll get better, that you'll get healed, but it's a hospital for sinners. That was the message of Billy Graham. That was the message of Jesus. So how do we respond to this? I have just been, all I wanted to do this morning is just paint a picture of Jesus. That's all I want to do. Look at, look at Jesus. Look at his, the dignity he gives to humanity. Look at the presence that he gives to humanity, the presence of God. Look at the power he gives to renew and restore. How do you respond to this? Well, look at our, look at our leper, because he's our hero. He's our, he's our, well, Jesus is the hero, but our leper is our model. He's our mentor. He's our exemplar in the spiritual life. He's got so many strikes against him. He's been beaten down. He's been excluded. He's, his life is, is in many ways a failure. He doesn't measure up. He's on the margins. He's a religious outsider. He lives alone. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have influence. What does he have? He's got one thing in the core of his being that drives him. It's faith. Faith in Jesus. And when you have that, you have everything you need. How much faith does he have? Well, not perfect, because he's not even really sure of Jesus's compassion. He's sure of his power, but not his compassion. He doubts that. So how much faith do you need? Just enough to come. That's what the leper had, enough to come enough to ask, enough to admit his need. I talked to people as a pastor over the years, they're, they're wondering, how much faith do I need? I don't feel like I have enough faith. I don't have enough faith like the people up there that preach and do all that kind of stuff. I don't have that much faith. Well, I don't either. And you say, well, I don't have enough. Well, do you have enough to come? Do you have enough to ask? Do you have enough to admit your need and then bring it to Jesus? Because that's all you need. Here's this amazing invitation. I said one touch changed the world. One touch can still change the world. You can meet with Jesus today. Those re-words, those are for you today. Reform, rebirth, renewal, restore. Ask him for that. Come to the Lord's Supper, ask him. The privacy of your home, ask him. Jesus is remarkable. That's all I wanted to say this morning. Look to him. The one who gave his life for you, that out of his death, you might have resurrection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.